Thank you for tuning in to the Good Grief, Good God Show, hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy award-winning hit songwriter of 15 top 10 songs on country radio, including nine number ones, Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. I'm producer Matt Pivato. Join Brad monthly on the first and third Tuesdays in video on YouTube or on your favorite audio platform for raw, honest conversation about surviving things that suck. A couple of quick items before we get started. Check the description for bio, show information, and for a clickable link to visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com where you'll find the most up-to-date show information. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the show, help us spread the word by hitting that subscribe button and leaving us a five-star review. For today's episode, Brad welcomes sports and entertainment executive, president of TKO Enterprises, and one of Brad's best friends, Tim O'Neill. Tim's background in sports and entertainment includes 10 years at Philip Morris Company, working within their sports and marketing department. There, he negotiated contracts with the National Football League, National Basketball Association, and Major League Baseball. He was also heavily involved with the Philip Morris Invitational. In 1999, Tim went to work for Spalding Sports as a regional manager for their golf division, where he continued cultivating relationships with professional athletes, including PGA touring professionals. 2004, Tim founded TKO Enterprises, a sports and marketing company where he produces events, including the Joe Torre at-home golf tournament and books personal appearances for hundreds of Hall of Fame athletes, internationally recognized recording artists and entertainers for some of the most well-respected corporations in the world. Personally, Tim and Brad met just a little over five years ago, but have become extremely close. Although Tim doesn't share the profound grief of losing a child, they share a disease that directly and indirectly affects nearly everyone to the disease of being an alcoholic. However, they have celebrated sobriety for well over a decade. Additionally, Tim had a close relationship with Brad's late son, Sage, because that's who he is. As Brad says, Tim has never met a stranger, and Brad has learned something from Tim every time they are together. We hope that you do too as well, especially those affected by the disease of alcoholism. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Sage Michael Warren. Which one's Brad C? Oh, he's he's going right. to be here. You're, you're going to look at me. You're right. Don't get my bald spot. <laughs> I went from cocaine to Rogaine. <laughs> you go pillow or no pillow? I go pillow because you can kind of fall back into this chair a little bit. You can? Yeah. Let's keep you honest. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying they're comfortable, but occasionally you have to make yourself sit up because it's like so comfortable. Yeah. I don't want you to fall asleep on me. <laughs> he's he's jet lagged. He took red eyes and whatever to get here. He's going to fall. Well, I came yesterday. in from San Diego yesterday morning at 5 a.m. And then I flew out here. At flew to San Diego to Jersey and then changed his underwear and flew here. <laughs> He says he changed his underwear. I'm not sure if, you know, I'm just going to push it, push it away. Well, tell me where you're No, it's good. We're good. By the way, I understand that um, you think it sounds different with that much distance away, but I've, li- I've been listening to these podcasts. It sounds exactly the same, whether it's two or three inches away from my face. <laughs> it, oh, it should be closer, theoretically? I think mean, closer is better. When we're writing songs, the people don't listen as hard as we write. <laughs> you know? Well, how many years have you pronounced the wrong words of a song? Oh, Carefree yeah. Highway, Gordon Lightfoot. I thought it was every highway for yeah. 47 years. What's the Fleetwood Mac song sings? The song sounds like she's singing. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, just like the, and it's a bird. It's some kind of bird that sings, ooh, ooh, ooh. It's a real bird. Oh, really? And that's what she says. Um, 
just like the white-tailed dove or something. Yeah, I thought it was something totally so, Yeah, it's crazy. I and mean, you just never know what the lyrics are. Rock and roll is so much fun. You can just write whatever the hell comes to your mind and becomes a song. We uh, we country music people have to make sense and tell a story. Or we get what is little, it, two chords? and two, Three chords and the truth. We kind of try to get into four chords and, the, and a lie. <laughs> First of all, this guy, uh, Mark Hively, he's Martina McBride's old road manager. He may still be, I don't know. But he called and he said, uh, hey, man, uh, do you know who Don Mattingly is? I said, yeah, I know who Don Mattingly is. And, uh, and he said, well, he needs an act for an event. We did his charity event last year, and, and he needs someone this year. I told him you guys would be great. And I said, that's cool, but, like, Martin McBride's a lot more famous than we are. Right, 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 you got to have something to make up the lack of right. celebrity in this gig, you know? And he said, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Joe Torrey's coming. He's going to talk before you guys. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I, I was per all prepared to say no, but I was like, oh, Joe Torrey's going to be there? Literally, the Joe Torrey baseball years were the only years that my, my boys were way into Jeter and the whole thing. And so we followed baseball super closely for that period of time. So many people say and that. And that's Brad. the only time we did. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh yeah, I'm go I'll go meet Joe Torrey. So we, they said, we'll send you a plane. It's going to be sexy. So we get on this prop plane with Doogie Howser flying. I mean, this <laughs> kid looked like he was 15. I like my pilots to be older. Oh right? God. I mean, not decrepit, but like right, right. between sweet spot, 45 and 65. Yeah, sweet, spot. Yeah, exactly. sweet spot. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, backwards baseball Preferably cap on your glasses. Yeah. 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 As nerdy as they can be. Nerdy as they can be, but still healthy enough to make right. it through the flight without exactly. having a heart attack. Exactly. And uh, we made it there, and we got to get there. And so uh, Joe came in the back room, and you were with him. Right. And uh, I don't even know if you said you were Joe's agent or whatever representative, but you and I, one of us said something about 12-step shit, and we just became friends in like five it was, minutes. It was love at first sight. <laughs> you know, it was, a green, it was a typical green room, and then the waitress comes over and says, can I get you guys something to drink? And I don't always want to lay it out there that I don't drink. You know, I don't want to ring the bell and something, you know. And you broke the ice. You said, there, there's not enough booze in this place for me. And I said, oh, he's one of us. <laughs> I always rip the Band-Aid off. I yeah. don't know if it's good or bad, but I, I don't ever. Um, it does help the job that I have because it's not only is it is it not frowned upon, but it's kind of expected that you have some sort of drinking issue. Right. Right. So I always, I, if any time it comes up, someone brings it up to me, I'm like, no, no, I'm an alcoholic. You don't, you don't want me to have, you don't want me to have anything or you don't have enough or whatever. So you scare people. I do. I'm trying it's, to make them uncomfortable yeah, to yeah. ask me. Cause right. not, the way I lay it out, like you asked me the other day, um, do you ever get people that push you to have the drink? And I'm like, I don't really, because I lay it out there so harshly. They're like, okay, dude, I get it. You know, well, as soon as you use the alcoholic word, it's such a giant word, yeah. you know? It's like giving a cancer patient like cigarette to smoke. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, you know, that was a great night. And, uh, you know, Joe is larger than life. I mean, there's a presence about Joe when he walks in the room and Don Mattingly, Don Mattingly in Evansville. And then we got there and we've done a ton of these things. And we met you guys and it was a magic night for us. And Joe and I left and it said, those guys, because you guys were great that night. We also wrote a song with Joe, like on stage. He, we, we just, my brother said, uh, well, I always want to write a song with Joe Torrey, you know, give me, right. give me a, give me an idea, Joe. And he said, uh, what was it? Um, uh, find a way. Yeah. And so Brett kind of just made up something on the fly that we did it. And we went home and really wrote the song and finished it and right. said it to Joe. And, uh, he kind of got, he's got writer's rights. Yeah. Right? He's got, yeah. yeah. He got writer yeah. credit on it. 
But he's he's the guy. He's the guy that everybody thinks he is. He's that guy. Oh, he's amazing. I yeah. mean, he the thing people don't know about him. He's got a great sense of humor. I mean, you know about it. He's got a giant heart. I mean, he's the guy who has the driver take him somewhere, then brings him to the restaurant, sets up a table, and picks up his check. I mean, yeah. he's that guy. Yeah. You know? But he's still the mafia boss enough to have a driver. Oh, you're still afraid of him. <laughs> and you're still afraid of him. Yeah. 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 He's got those shark eyes. He's the sweetest guy with a commanding presence. Yeah, yeah totally. I've gotten to know him a lot from, from you. And, uh, and yeah, he loves just, you. Just the best. He's, yeah. he's, he's amazing. But there's not... Um, you know, a lot of times you don't want to meet your, like, I never got to meet Tom Petty, my hero. Like, and I'm kind of glad just in case. Yeah. Just in you know, case he has really spinach wanna... in his teeth. <laughs> yeah. <he's> like, oh. <laughs> that ruins yeah. it. I always yeah, say just it. in case they're an ass, you know, you don't want to meet him, but Joe is everything you would want him he to be. That. And then more and then the stories are amazing, you know, just. And he's, and he's real. And yeah. I say to people in the business, I say, you know, they say, I want to book so-and-so. He's my hero. I said, he's your hero. Let's keep it that way. Don't book him. You know? <laughs> yeah. you know? But you know what? Mention some names. Most of them. Give me some names. At the 55-minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my exit strategy. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun business. And it's, I, I said it today, it's adult babysitting. Yeah. You know, and you have to, I have to execute through the talent showing up and being on and being good to the client. Cause the end user, the real client, I mean, the real, the people that pay the bills are the people that hire the athlete or the yeah. talent, yeah. you know? So that's a tricky part, but it's a great business. I bet athletes are a lot like musicians, but I do work for the star, like, cause we write songs for and with the, you know, big celebrities. And, um, the, you're, there's a certain amount of whatever it is, X factor they have to have um to do what they do and then there's a certain amount of they like kind of envy us on the you know other side of the glass all the athletes want to be musicians all the musicians want to be athletes right the difference is the athletes have bigger hands <laughs> like yeah. you can physically see it in most guys you know why they're athletes talk about a presence you know yeah and with like auto-tune some of the athletes have a chance but musicians trying to be athletes is kind of yeah you see it in the celebrity McGraw's softball good, game McGraw's a good athlete yeah he's a so good he, one yeah, yeah. He, he played in the he's NBA. a good crossover yeah his dad was a pro athlete. And he's a frustrated defensive back for LSU. He'll get into that thing. I could have played defensive back for LSU. I'm like, yeah, I know you could have, but you made a great career choice. There's yeah, you, no you, defensive back for LSU ever made the kind of money you do. It turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, it turned out okay. <laughs> Matt, I dare you to put that phone on again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I like to have a quote for everybody. Um, I love quotes. I always say that. But um, I think the quote that I have for you, I think maybe you said it to me. And um, it's a great one, but it's a good spring point. Uh, the quote I had for you was, you don't have to swing at every pitch. And it's I think you said one. it to me. It's a great one. Yeah. In, in, in everything, right? Everything. In your marriage, with your kids, with your boss, you don't have to swing at every pitch. The other one that kind of ties into that is I'd rather be happy than right. Like, I don't need to be right anymore. At 59 years old, don't need to be right. I want to be happy. Especially in the marriage one. Don't yeah, swing I mean, every pitch and don't, don't be right. And sometimes it's what you don't say, you yeah. know, Some, but we, you know, we don't know that, you know, when, when our ego gets right-sized in life, we learn these things later. Yeah. I had an English teacher in high school and, and she said, oh, you Warrens. And I said, what? Cause she had taught my brother and my two sisters. She knew my parents, whatever she goes, you Warrens. And I said, what? And she said, uh, you have to, you think you have to verbalize every thought. Right. <laughs> we're, we're swinging every pitchers. And that's what makes you good too. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, we're funny people. So, you know, not everything lands, but you have to throw <laughs> it out there for three out of 10, the land, right? Yeah. Ricky Gervais has a good one. He said, um, 
he said he and his brother have a little thing. You never let a joke hit the ground. Right. You and I've got in a lot of trouble not letting a joke hit the ground. Yeah. There's, there's a couple Me of these too. days I try to let it hit the ground. Me too. Totally. Yeah. But it, as we get older, I mean, I think there's a calmness that comes about us. Maybe it's lower testosterone, but there's, and there's wisdom. There's a calmness comes. Like, I think you've really arrived in life when you can sit at a table and someone's talking about something you're the expert in and you don't say a word. I think that's when you've arrived as a human being, yeah. a calmness, yeah. you know, you don't have to be that guy anymore. Yeah. You no, know, that, that is a, that is a, an exercise because when I hear someone talking about music or the music business at an airport or a table, or if someone brings it up, I really do practice. Just don't say anything. If someone asks you a question, you can answer it. But Don, one of the best compliments I got was some guy in, in, um, that I'm in the recovery with was talking to a new guy that was trying to quit drinking. And he said, I want you to meet Brad Warren because I didn't know what he did for a living for a year and a half after I knew him. The ultimate compliment. I'm like, that's a miracle because yeah. I literally was going to try to make myself important in the first Right. 20 seconds right. previous. Well, that's to, our ego. To being sober. Yeah. yeah I, people don't need my resume in the first 30 seconds they meet me. You know? I mean, I always say when I go to a cocktail party, if I left and I know what the guy did for a living and how much money he makes, I had a horrible time. <laughs> you know? But if I left and I know the guy's dad did this or that, and I knew about his kids and his family, I knew I, knew I had a significant conversation. And those are the things I crave today. Significant conversations. Yeah. You know? Which is what I have with you. And that's why we're... You know, we're yeah, brothers. It's, there's, um, there are people you can talk to and then there's people that just like, bleh, and for, for, one, talk at for you. minute one, we kind of like just all the, that's the great thing about recovery. And, and, uh, I don't know if I trust people that never drank. It's kind right, of weird. I don't know those people. A little, yeah. A little odd, but yeah. I respect it, but it's kind of, I don't relate to it, but guys who used to drink that are now recovering, or people nowadays, especially people that have dealt with inordinate amount of pain, I just relate to right away. And there's, I don't, I'm there's not something very attractive talk. about them. Yeah. You know, broken people attract me, honest broken people. And I think it's the honesty. I oh, mean, yeah. when you're, when you're in a disease, when you're suffering from a disease, when you come from dysfunction, um, your life's a lie. I mean, you can't be a good alcoholic without being totally full of shit. <laughs> Because they complement each other, yeah. you know, because you're lying about your drinking or you're lying about where you were and et cetera, et cetera. So when you see somebody get better mm -hmm. and get honest and you're sitting full, you're in a room full of liars teaching you how to tell the truth, yeah, right? Yeah. Because they found a way. So the honesty, you know, we were talking yesterday, like if somebody owes you 20 bucks and they call you and they're honest with you and they say, I don't have the money, uh, but I'll have it next month. It's a great conversation. You almost want to let them off the hook. But if he doesn't call you and you don't hear from him, that's when your ire gets up. Or you know? he calls and says, yeah, you're not going to believe it. I, I hit it. a moose on the way exactly. home and had to fix my car on the fly. And the $20 was in my pocket and it flew out and the moose ate it. The truth is so attractive. Yeah. And so it took us our whole lives to figure that out. You know, a good alcoholic will say he had a turkey sandwich instead of a ham sandwich for lunch just for the hell of it. Totally. I was you always know? practicing lying. Like, I didn't want to get out of practice. If you said how much money is in your wallet and I had $20, I told you 15 Right. Just to stay in practice. Yeah, right. Exactly. You'd rather <laughs> climb a tree to lie than stay down yeah, on the earth exactly. and tell the truth, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I know most of your story, but, you know, tell me a little bit about I know your childhood was kind of. Uh, well, you know, I was, I, my parents were both school teachers. My father- Sounds like perfect middle America. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, until you open the refrigerator, and there's nothing in it. <laughs> well, there's something in it. <laughs> and, and, and at the end, at the end, our car was getting repossessed once a month and there was no hot water. But besides that, <laughs> everything was middle America. You know, um, I told I you was, teachers didn't make enough. <laughs> exactly. I was born uh, optimistic. 
And I'm optimistic today. And through all the pain I've been through in my life with coming from an alcoholic family, my father was an alcoholic. My father was a Franciscan brother who, by the way, taught Joe Torrey Latin in high school. And my mother was a Dominican nun. Her, What's the difference between a brother and a priest? Obviously, the brother can be married. You know, it's a, like a deacon. It's or a something? different sacrament, and uh, they don't say mass. I'm officially uh, Catholic but they, now, but, but they serve God. Well, you're a recovering Catholic. Yeah, like yeah. I am. I'm a recovering Southern Baptist. That's right. That's yeah. right. Which is a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I only became um, Catholic because I thought they could drink. <laughs> that's right. And you can say you're sorry in confession. Everything's fine. You know, I in the first couple years of my life, I remember being really great being really great. But then the progressiveness of my dad's disease took hold and uh, things weren't really great. My high school years, um, I saw a real wonderful, caring person, um, you know, lose his soul. His mm -hmm. soul started to rot because of the disease. Guy who never missed a day of work started taking off Fridays and Mondays and drinking and bottles under the bed and all the dysfunction that goes along with it. I told my sponsor in AA once, I said, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm nervous sometimes. He said, well, from what you told me for 15 years, you sat at the top of the stairs of your house, you listened to your parents fight, and then when the fight hit a crescendo, you ran downstairs and broke them up. What do you think you're gonna identify the mornings with? And it's the truth. But he said that the great part now is you could own that and know where it's coming from and then put it over here. You know, and that's part of the recovery of all of it. So I grew up never seeing alcohol being used responsibly, which is kind of funny too, because the happiest moments of my childhood was an hour before the party started. <laughs> because an hour before the party started, we had food in the house. There was booze in the house. Music was playing. Everybody was happy. Hadn't gone too far yet. Nothing happened yet. And the first hour was great. And then you saw my uncle Ed hit the mailbox on the way out <laughs> and people fighting and, and all the dysfunction that goes along with that. So I never saw alcohol used responsibly, but I got addicted to the party before I got addicted myself to the alcohol. You know, and I'm still kind of in the party business, in the say, event you're still, business. You're still yeah. a good party host. And I still love, I still love a party. Look, I think alcohol is a great social lubricant. Um, if it works, I'm not anti-alcohol but I think everybody has to take an honest assessment of where they are. You know, alcoholic is a giant word. Mm -hmm. I think it keeps a lot of people from ever getting sober. Yeah, probably. I, I have a little bit of a, given the the idea that my, my son's death was so drug and alcohol related, I get angry at it. Now, I was also raised with, no alcohol, you know, right? None. It didn't exist, and right. that's we, we we didn't walk down that aisle at the grocery store. And I'm not kidding, we right. didn't walk down that aisle. And um, was it the forbidden fruit for you? It was the forbidden well, fruit. So I couldn't wait to get out yeah. and see what that did. Yeah. Um, and then I, at 18, I got really drunk one time, and it was horrible, and I threw up everywhere. And I'm, the first time I ever drank, I literally drank. This is embarrassing, but we were taking shots of whiskey, and then each me and my two friends had a two liter of wine cooler. And we, I drink the whole thing. That old trick. Oh, oh, yeah. oh it's, it just yeah. makes me hurt now yeah. thinking about it. So it's so bad I didn't I didn't drink for a long time. And I never really knew any drinking that wasn't to get drunk. The whole right. two drinks, is, what's the point in that? So by the time I got into 
I mean, hell, I don't know if I drank even 15 years really, but I was such an alcoholic and such a bad drinker. I never saw any responsible drinking either. I'm not sure there really is all that much. I don't think anybody drinking. ever does it successfully. It's just not. So I find myself, I have to watch it because I don't want to get judgy at people that don't have a problem because there's lots of people like my wife that don't have a problem that should right. be able to have her, a, my a, wife a too. glass of wine and do their thing. But I will, I will find myself just angry at the whole thing. I have to watch that. You so do. I, I do yeah, get we a can be angry. self-righteous about it. Yeah. I get bored by it more than angry. I'm bored by it. And I have an exit strategy. The repetitive stories? Yeah, the repetitive stories are spitting on you and then you get the guy who tells you how proud he is of you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he wants to talk about his drinking. So call me on Monday. The phone never rings. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. you know, the word I tell newcomers, people that want to stop, I say alcoholic's a giant word. Put it over there. And then I said, powerlessness is a giant word because we grew up as alpha males. We're not powerless over anything. However, do you have a desire to stop, which is really the only prerequisite to be in the program? Yeah. Right? Do you have a desire to stop? And will your life get better when you do? And can you identify with unmanageability? Those mm -hmm. things in your life that are unmanageable, that have became unmanageable. A DWI is unmanageable. You know, things are uh, not going to work. Doing the things you know you should be doing. And only you know that. So if you take alcoholic and put it over there, powerlessness, let's just talk about everyday stuff. Yeah. That be, has become unmanageable because you're drinking. And that's what I had to take an honest look at. Now, I did get a DWI and that was the last drink I took. So I always say I'm allergic to alcohol because every time I drank, I broke out in handcuffs. Yeah, yeah. You know? Because I was waiting for the DUI. Uh, I'm like, well, I knew I had a problem and right. I figured I was going to wind up in, in whatever, uh, the, you know, AA was or recovery right. was, but I was waiting for the DUI. And when I get it, which is a terrible plan, kids, bad plan. I was waiting when I got a DUI, I was going to quit. You know, That's I That's how kind of I was yeah. thinking. And uh, I never got one. I felt relief when I got mine. Oh, I was waiting for it. Yeah, it now I had came. a reason. Yeah. We lived on a bus. So at the time, pretty much, you know, we were on the road all the time and it's, you know, right. you don't drive anywhere. Right. So you're just, you know, I guess the driver that I was holding the map while they did a line of cocaine while they were driving us down the highway at three in the morning. See, that's unmanageable. <laughs> that's unmanageable. That may have been unhealthy. It's, it's funny the situations we put ourselves into when we're living that life. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we almost think it's cool and we're not tuned in and there's, Looking back, it's just dangerous stuff. Just to make it obvious how old I am and how long ago that was, we were holding a map. <laughs> Rand McNally. Yeah, the map. Yeah. There, there was no, there's no, there was no uh, ways. Yeah, now it had to be ways on the yeah, cell you're, phone you're or something. A phone yeah, and exactly, exactly. It's just, uh, it's just a big lie, and it's you know, I, I, I have a, a unique relationship with it based on my past and and the thing. But it's funny because we talk about grief. This is like what this is, and it, it, the avoidance. Of well, first of all, the grief that it caused with me. I never, I just never could get cool with having two or three beers and having it just wasn't. So the grief that it caused and everyone else when I was, because it, I went to the wall, and then the grief when I lost it, thinking that it was some like piece of me. To be honest, I realized I don't have any hobbies because my hobby, right, is drinking. Well, I'm drinking's great a, at it. Drinking's a full time job. Yeah. So when you're not drinking, you're thinking of drinking, and then you have to spend the morning getting over it, and then it starts to look good again. So, and when you have a full-time job of drinking, you can't be a full-time anything else. You're not going to be a full-time husband, full-time father, full-time employee. Yeah. That's your full-time job. Yeah. And you don't think of it in those terms. I've heard it said before that it's, if it's in the game, it's the winner. Right. It's got to be eliminated from the mix. Right. If, for, for a guy like me. Right. Exactly. For a guy like me. It's going to win. It beats your family. It beats your career. It beats, it's just nothing matters. It's, unde it's undefeated. Yeah. yeah and I always talk about um, money. 
You know, we talk about money and that ways to sustain the disease. Because if you have money, you can't be an alcoholic, right? Well, it's a great deodorant. It's a great deodorant for alcoholism because, you know, you're paying for everything and, you know, you're successful. And just, you know, just because the electric bills pay doesn't mean you're not an alcoholic. You know, that's like a functional alcoholic. You know, what kind of version of yourself are you presenting? Yeah, functional is kind of a wide word. I really thought I was pretty okay. Like the week before. Right. I thought I was just getting warmed up, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I was getting tired. I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of a wimp. Cause I, I needed my sleep. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. it was getting hard. I mean, I was 35 years old and I, I just, right. the, the hangovers were killing well, me. Well, it's the old sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. You know, oof, oof. I was, it was, um, I'd probably be better at it now because I'm tougher. I've gotten I've gotten physically tougher along with the- We well, have a little more money now. You could buy the good stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all, it's, if they ever had a healthy cigarette, I probably would have, you know. Right. Those Indian spirits, I thought those were healthy. I like the expression minute. somebody said, I miss getting drunk. I don't miss being drunk. I say that all the time. You know, yeah. that first hour that I was talking about before, when everything is, they used to say, is happy and gay. You know, yeah. it's that first hour, but- when you play it out and you're taking a shower the next morning, your teeth are purple because of the wine you drank and all the stupid stuff you might've said, or, you know. Teeth are, the, see, purple, <laughs> the purple, because I didn't drink wine. Right. It was way too sophisticated for me. I mean, I, I would drink it. I have, but the the purple teeth conversation is usually someone that's not very good at drinking. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but you never saw that in the movies. Benny Grable never had the purple teeth, you know? <laughs> that was the romance. And, you know, the romance of drinking yeah. and the marketing of alcohol. You yeah. know, I mean, and that was just such a giant part of my life. You know, again, I was around it all. You know, I never took a guilt-free drink my whole life. Really? Because I never wanted to wind up like my dad. So I was always monitoring my drinking. Oh, yeah. you. It seems like that maybe that would have been something that you, like, I'm going to avoid this. Yeah, it went the other way. Like, you could have avoided it after you threw up the first time you drank, yeah. right? So it's funny because- you know, I used to go to AA meetings with my father for his anniversaries because I wanted to see what everybody looked like. <laughs> but I uh, I don't know if I eventually knew I'd wind up there. And in some respects, I think I had a high bottom because I never took a guilt-free drink. So yeah. every single drink I took, I thought, oh God, I'm having so much fun, but I don't want to wind up like him. Yeah. You know, the guy I love so much, probably the only hero I ever had, yeah. who was flawed. You know, who was flawed, who winded up getting sober and being sober for 40 years and a giant pillar in the program, the 12-step program. That's pretty amazing. And helped other people. Um, I just never wanted to be like him. But all the things that happened because of his drinking made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. So maybe the ultimate gift he gave me was a disease of alcoholism that he had because it, I have street smarts from it. I was doing my own laundry when I was 10 years old. I was hitchhiking to school. I mean, all those things you hated. Um, and then there was the shame of it, you know, being embarrassed to bring a girl to the house because of everything that was going on. I mean, there was a lot of shame. And then that's when the dishonesty um, comes in, you know, because you're, you're being loyal to your dad by lying for him. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you think you're being the good guy. You're being the loyal guy. Because if you told the truth, you know, it'd be going against him. Yeah. Yeah, and like it's um – I don't know where your thing came in. I know you're Catholic and um, I, I kind of, my God relationship thing was, I mean, it's good, good people, great parents, great, good people, but it just didn't work for me. It was so judgy and it was so, it was so like, um, it was impossible to live up to the standard that had been created 
by my parents. By the way, it, was, it turns out it was impossible for them too. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right. Um, it just it just didn't work out. And going completely the other direction and finding, I mean, I remember like kind of looking in the mirror. I'd always uh, just look in the mirror and go, oh my God, man, they are not what your parents raised. But not being able to get to it and getting sober and that being my path to God. Right. <laughs> like I, I have a great relationship with God Spirituality. now. Spirituality. But I didn't find it in... And the, not saying you can't find it. I didn't find it in the Baptist church that I was I raised in. Was a, I didn't either. I found it in recovery, the, the, 12 the, steps. The and, rooms of AA. Yeah. I mean, spirituality did for me what former religion never could do for me. Yeah. You know, um, and and it's a whole nother podcast to get into the Catholic church and the Catholic church and what it did to my family. Yeah. But- um, Bad experiences? You know, we, well, we were Catholic, we went to Catholic school our whole life, both my parents- Oh yeah, that'll make you an both, alcoholic right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> both, both my parents, uh, you know, they were in the religious order and they weren't like uh, pushy religious people, but it was in our DNA. You we were said Catholics. your mom was a nun? My mom was a Dominican nun. Her mom died when she was 12 years old and her- father and the boys went off to war. So they didn't know what to do with her. So they put her in the convent, you know, but the stories, uh, the dysfunction uh, that they went through, my mom and my dad in the religious orders. Um, yeah. Do they get grief from, from the, the church for getting married? I mean, is well, it a you know, lifetime thing or you just do that now for it's a, a great cocktail party story. You know, your mom was a nun, your dad yeah. was a brother. Um, they went to grad school and met each other and then left the order, which happened a lot. Does the Catholic church frown on that? Uh, they weren't thrilled about it, you know, but you know, the, the Catholic church is very judgmental. The Catholic church is like an insurance company. It's never there when you need it. Right. <laughs> or a bank, a bank only lends you money when you can prove you don't need it. Yeah, you yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. By the time they loan me money, I knew I didn't need it. Anymore. Right. Exactly. Right. right. But, um, so the Catholic church, um, wasn't kind, uh, to our family. We all had some experiences. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, I didn't know what to do with it because, First of all, I felt guilty not going to church at some point. And every time I went to church in the building around the word of God, I felt better when I left, but I was pretty much ignoring the guy up top, the priest. So I took him out of the equation, but felt better being in the building. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I got sober, uh, the rooms of AA uh, brought a spirituality to me and honesty to me that I never found in, in formal religion. Yeah, and we can't blame God for what people do in church. It's just, there's so much dysfunction when human beings are involved in anything. Um, and I found myself just well, blaming God for everyone that was flawed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you know, we can't, but we can't think we're going to burn in hell when we don't go to church too. I didn't mind it being flawed that I saw. I, I just didn't like the idea that no one was, was flawed. I didn't like the idea that we, that the people in my church were presenting themselves as perfect and then not being perfect. Right. And judging you for not being in the parking lot, pulling out. Right, yeah. right, right. Right. I mean, it, even worse, it just really, it just, it just was really judging. And by the way, maybe it's part of me taking everything to heart too much. Like we, we say a lot, wear life like a loose garment. I def definitely didn't wear life like a lead coat. Right. So everything someone said to me that was religious, that didn't, it just offended me. And I, was, I still get mad. You I, were looking for a brawl a little I bit. I was always looking yeah. for a brawl. Yeah. I still get upset when someone starts telling me who is and isn't going to heaven. Right. Like, shut up. You don't know. Right. You don't, I mean, it's, it's, everyone's got a different version. We all, somebody's wrong, by the way. There's a lot right. of different denominations. Right. right. And within the Jesus we love and the God we know, 
there's so many different versions of exactly what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, man, if we would just be nice, I think we'd all wind up getting to heaven, love God and let him do his thing with us. Yeah, but kind, kindness is a, is a lost start, isn't it? I mean, I, you know what? I say that and I, I, I'm kind of crass, you know, my, our sense of humor in my family, we're kind of crass. And I, I don't like coming off like that all the time, but at the core of it, I believe in you. And I'm, I don't right. just mean you. I mean, my, my guys, I right. want everyone to go to heaven. I want, I, I'm rooting for everyone. And I think God's rooting for everyone, but man, we get on that soapbox and like, no, they're going to hell and they don't believe this. They're going to hell. And I, I, that offends me. So how much changed after Sage died? as far as your view of religion? A lot. Did it test your faith? No, no. Um, ironically, I've probably said it on here before. I always had a quiet agreement with God. If you take one of my children, I'm going to drink again. Like, right? That's, all, that's only fair. I'm doing my thing here. And and uh, if you if you if one of my children ever dies, I would drink again. Well, I, I haven't even had the thought to drink again. And I would say that I had faith um, before Sage died. I believed that there was a God. I you believed were doing, in, you were doing a work before it happened. I was, I was, you know, yeah. here's the thing. It's good. I was on the right path right. beforehand. But um, when you have no choice, but to trust in the promise of the future of eternity, right. um, you're presented with a real choice. Do I believe this or do I just hope that it's right? right? And um, I, we have had, what I would consider to be incredible signs from God. We feel sage around us and my belief system has gone so much deeper. At the same time, I, we have a great priest at, the, at our church. He's a great friend of mine. I love him to death. We just haven't been attending church as much. I have a, I have a, 12-step groups, several different ones, men's meeting. I have Bible studies and things, but I, I don't know exactly. I'm a little confused about church, to be right. completely honest. Um, but my faith has been strengthened. And I don't think there was ever a moment of when Sage died, I thought about my dad. I thought he's with my son's with my dad. And it gave me peace right off. And then like my, we grew up in this brown and yellow Ford truck, like riding in the back of it to Montana and from Tampa and it was crazy, but it was like the picture of our childhood is this brown and yellow Ford truck with a yellow camper on it. My dad built benches and my grandmother made cushions to put on it. And then they had those, those windows that slid out. And so we would drive all the way to Montana from Tampa, Florida in the summertime and take turns sticking our head through those windows to get some AC. <laughs> Not kidding. Huge fights, brawls about who had been in the who's window. Longest. Yeah, yeah, who's yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad. And so anyway, as I'm feeling I just told, told Brett, uh, I said, man, I just feel like Sage is with dad. I have this peace. It's crazy. In the monks of all this pain, I have, I have this peace. And Brett said, you're not going to believe this. I was on my way here. And I'm, I just like, was like, give me a sign, God. And a brown and yellow 77 Ford truck passed him on the way to my house that wow. morning. It's just not that many brown and yellow trucks. There's, and I believe there's no coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences you know? anymore. And we've had so many things like that. <clears throat> You can call it wishing, whatever, making yourself feel better. But the truth is, I think they're all around us all the time. And when Sage died, I started looking for them. And I see them all the time. And when I stop and give myself a pause, I look for them. And so I'm far from perfect. But I can tell you there's a bunch of things about my life. I would not have been doing this. I'm going to go talk about grief in front of people on camera. No, but I don't really care. If I can help comfort one person that's went through what I did, it's worth it. I'll, I'll do that. Um, uh, I run to the fire instead of my instinct is to, oh, you see trouble is there. Run away from the fire. Don't get yourself burned. Um, there's a lot of little things like that. How does it test a marriage? 
you know, they say it'll either, it'll either destroy it or strengthen it. And luckily our marriage has been strengthened because we were already, because we were concerned about Sage, because we were praying for him and we had to kind of give the situation, uh, to God before that happened. And you were on the same team before. We were already on this. That's exactly, that's a great way to put it. We were already on the same team when this happened. And, um, I don't mean to say there's not challenges in it, but we're, I got some really good advice from some people that just said, you are going to grieve a little differently. Give each other the grace to. Yeah. Everybody gets better at a different time. We really don't have a bad day the same day very often. Right. Which is. And that's a a blessing. It's a blessing. And I honestly think part of that is like, if I know she's having a bad day, I'm like, okay, I got to put my big boy pants on today. And if she knows I'm having a bad day, probably the same, but um, I could see how it could, if you're not on the same team. Right. Going into something like this, your marriage is well, over. Well, if you're actively drinking and drugging. Oh, my marriage is already no, over it, anyway. It would have been over anyway, maybe. But it, there's no chance. I mean, you were spiritually fit, uh, you and Michelle, before it happened. Um, and then you relied on each other. You don't want to just be getting to know God when you need him. You want to have a relationship yeah. with him already. Yeah, you did. Like taking vitamin C after you already got a cold. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you did, yeah. you know? It, it also, um, perspective change on... on uh, like being there for other people. We, we talked about this last night. Um, make the call. You know, I love that. It's in and, the text. You know, uh, my son was in a, an accident a year ago. Yeah. And it pales uh, versus what you've been through. But I saw it live. I was like, you know, when something happens to somebody, someone's diagnosed with cancer, I don't want to bother them. Should I call? And I say, from experience now, call. Make the call. Bother them. Because every single text I got, every single phone call I got, I sat with it like a chapter in a book and it meant something to me. And that was a time, I remember how much that scared you and how concerned you with. And we would have conversations, you and I would, that I wasn't capable before Sage died. I just would have been like, I just And I didn't feel worthy of having a conversation because you lost your son and my son was still alive, but I still had a lot of the same pain, you know, and was going through a lot of the same stuff and you were so great about it. Well, it, it's only because that is how to, that, that's how it diffuses. So I diffuse my pain by being that. And I will tell you that you can't, and no pain doesn't have to be equal. Grief doesn't have to be equal right. to be grief, to be right. pain. And until you know the the greatest pain, the whatever, that was one of the greatest pains that you've had. Because For sure. You experienced a moment of, oh, that could have been right. this. And, um, and it's PTSD with that. The yeah, phone oh. call we got in the morning. I mean, you play it through your mind of what could have been. Because you know? when you when you have a friend that's got, you're like, oh, I'm I'm one generation away. I'm right. one, you know, Kevin Bacon away from that being a phone call to my house. Because totally. we don't, there's some control we don't have. And you talk about not swinging at every pitch and that kind of stuff. I called you and like the same in a marriage, like it's sometimes it's what you don't say. Like every time someone calls you, they don't necessarily want advice. They just want you to listen. Yeah. They just want you to listen yeah. and understand. And you were so great about that. And I love you so much for that. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I didn't feel, again, I didn't feel worthy of calling you sometimes, but I said, that's not what he's all about. He's not no. keeping score. No, and He's that, not judging that, you know? No, that's not, that's not us anyway. And then after this, I, I don't, man, parenting. There's no blueprint. T- there's no blueprint. And every kid's different. I, another phone call I made to you once. I don't know if you remember this. I said, you know, my son said, um, he spent some time as a kid walking on eggshells around me. And that really landed on me because I spent my whole life walking on eggshells with an alcoholic father. You know, what's going to happen next? And just all that anxiety. And that's the last thing I wanted to present to my kids as a dad. And you're like, you know what? There's no blueprint for parenting. You did the best you could. And you know, a lot of the reasons I did what I did 
when I was tough at times is I just wanted them to be better than I was. Yeah. I wanted them. I wanted to have for them to have things better than me and not go through the pain. Now, in that process, I might have caused some of the pain too, you know. But you're just trying your best, and you love them to death, and you're doing the best you can, you know. That's another parenting thing. Like we fight out of a hole. And we get to a place where we want to keep the kids from having to fight out of a hole, but we're better people for having because fought of out pain, of the hole. Because of the hole. We want our kids to have grit, but we don't want them to go through and the then, things that then, cause grit. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die, you know? And, <laughs> oh. But, you know, the worst thing that can happen is, like, we came from what we came from, and it made us who we are today, yeah. and we yeah. love that. And we're trying to save our kids from a lot of that pain. But the kid who's born on third and didn't hit a triple, <laughs> he's going to have a tough life. Got his own set of, yeah. He's going to have, because he's not going to how to do his own wash when he was 10 years old or get from A to B or survive with just pizza money in his pocket. And, you know, we have such a high tolerance for pain and we're good problem solvers because mm -hmm. of what we came from. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, you could, my kids did their laundry at 10 years old too, because they, the, the last, the, about the fourth time they stepped over it on the way to the room after she had put their laundry out, she goes, okay, that's it. Get in here. You learn right. how to do your laundry. Right. And so I thought that was great parenting. She was just done, done doing it. Um, at the same time, I had to realize that my, my last uh, child just went to college, you know, we're doing that. And, and I had to realize they didn't grow up like I did. Right. They did. Their whole thing is different. Like I was, I was fighting out of this, redneck little little town and redneck little church and stifled thing and i mean we weren't poor but we sure thought we were right. they were it was important to my parents that, that we thought we were poor right. <laughs> you know? and they did a good job of making you think you were poor <laughs> you've seen my, my the house yeah. i grew up in they yeah. did a pretty good job i was just there. looking for the television the whole time <laughs> <laughs> oh man growing up without a tv was so it's crazy it was so it hard is. but is. i would have never learned to play the guitar you played the guitar because yeah. of it you know, it would have been three chords of the truth. <laughs> you, know? you know, did you ever feel like a benevolent dictator as a father? Did, totally. you, do, did you make some mistakes? Um, oh my God. I mean, I, I made tons and I'll be honest. You talked about your dad. I would try to be like my dad and do things that he did. And in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, that wasn't me. I was doing my dad. I was doing an impression of my dad because I thought it was the right thing to do. Some of the best parts of recovery is you have to look back at what you came from and said it was all wrong. It was all wrong. And you know, it's not 100% all wrong. And our kids are going to say the same thing. Like we got the humor. Um, like I came from a lot of good stuff too. But a lot of it was wrong, you know? And we parent by the only way we know how to parent is what we saw in our own life, right? Do you have any um, guilt about Sage? Well, okay. It's, it's funny that you bring that up because I was going to say, I I looked at myself and went, oh my God, I'm a failure. Because when, when you have kids, all you want is for them to be okay. Right. I would rather be a bum on Skid Row and have my kids successful than I would to be to have everything. You're as happy my, as your saddest just, kid. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. as happy as your saddest yeah. kid, always. And I, I'm i like, oh my God, my parents and all that strictness, was that was the key. That's I should have been like that. And then I had to think a little bit about the fact that I did what Sage did the night he died a hundred times. He got poisoned with fentanyl for making a bad mistake, but I did that. I did that a hundred times. So my parents, God love them, and they're amazing. Didn't do any better of a job than I did. Now, would the disease have found Sage, regardless of how he was brought up? I, I mean, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I believe that he too. He shared I, a room with his younger brother that was closest to him, Quinn. So the Sage and Quinn, and then Jude's four years younger than. Quinn, but they were 18 months apart, Sage and Quinn. They shared a bedroom because I wanted them to be close. It was good. So they always shared a bedroom. And they just couldn't be, Quinn suffers not at all with this. It's not, 
There is a genetic factor. Now, I always say it's a disease, but it's a disease that you get to choose the bottom for. Right. It's a genetic factor, though. I knew but he, the isms were there as a young I knew kid. he had the ism at 10 years old. You did. You always said that. You I always knew. said that. He yeah. had the isms. He had them. I mean, it just. And how do you identify the isms? Uh, short the, fuse. The hole? The, the hole, the void? The, the, always feeling less than and filling it with something else? It's funny about less than. Like Sage was a great looking, great athlete, funny kid. Girls liked him. He wasn't great in school, but that's not even cool when you're Did younger. Did he see that about himself? I don't know if he saw it, but he was never in the moment. He was in a hurry to get to the next moment. Yeah. He was impatient. He was frustrated. If he wasn't good at something right away, he moved on to the next thing. Um, and he was exceptionally hard on himself. So I don't know if he felt so much like he was less than or felt like he needed to be greater than. Right. He was very That's hard well on himself. That's well um, said. Missing a three-pointer was the end of the world. Striking out was the end of the world. He would literally pout his way into restriction that I would get him in trouble for. And the same game that he had a home run. Right. You he would hit one over the fence. The hits. Yeah. And then he would strike out. And it would be like the world had ended. And now those are it's kind of weird for people that are not in addiction. But you understand how that translates. I do. Into... I just knew, and I knew he was going to struggle with it. He also was the sweetest kid that I have. I had a relationship with him. Yeah, which you I, did. Which, which sat alone from my relationship with you, and I was so lucky to have it. And he was the sweetest kid. He was, in his own way, brought everybody together. He was funny. Um, he didn't miss a trick. Um, he was an old soul. Yeah, he was an he old was soul. He was an old soul. Like he could hang with the older guys and fit in with the older guys. And, you know, I respected you so much for standing up at the funeral and being honest about how he died. Yeah. You know, yeah. because you could have sat up and given his resume because he had a good resume in sports and in life within girls and good looking. And, you know, you didn't choose to go down there because there were kids in the audience at the funeral. And you were fighting for them. Yeah. And that I was, was fighting for that their was, parents. That was wildly honest of you. It's funny that this saying that we wouldn't worry about what people thought about us so much if we realized how little they did. Yeah. But I just don't care anymore. Well, it was the honest thing we were talking about before. Like, how much respect did you get? There wasn't a breath in that church when you were speaking because it was honest. You weren't making excuses. You weren't blaming others. You were just calling it like it was. Or acting like something didn't happen that did or something did happen that didn't. And that that is a place of, because being a, being a parent is what we all really want. I mean, most good people, that's the ultimate thing to them. And um, when you lose a kid, there's, there's some things that are just never going to, like I always say, I'm never going to have a perfect day again. I'm, I don't plan on that. But um, it, I'm getting to the time. You brought up like your relationship with Sage, which was awesome. I loved it when my kids were friends with my friends. And like he he loved our banter. And we'd, But watching Sage and Joe Torre sitting by themselves that watching the Yankees game. That was great. And this suite together. And I, it's crazy because these little moments where – I'm like, oh, but he got to do that about a few months before he died. He always wanted to take me to lunch. Maybe it was a year before because it was maybe it was the COVID thing just warps everything. But he wanted to take me to lunch really bad, Sage. And 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 I said, oh man, let me pay. And he's no, no, I want to pay. And I said, well, let me leave the tip. He's like, Dad, just I just want to pay for everything. And I said, Sage, you have the rest of your life to take me to lunch. And I didn't, you know, he didn't. And he knew that. So I don't, I mean, something in there, like he had to take me to lunch and he didn't want me to, to pay for it. And, and I, it's crazy to me that I said, you get the rest of your life to take me to lunch. Let me do it while you can't afford it. 
And and yet there's something, some sense in there. And that just makes me that think- That was the old soul in him. Yeah. You know, the other thing that was so great, and I don't know if we spend enough time on it, is you had a sober sage. And you had the guy that wasn't projecting and didn't need to be at the next party. You had the guy that was present. And when he talked about, and I went to some meetings with him, and when he talked about being sober and you could just see it in him, it was really cool to see. Like and it was really cool. Like the miracle was taking place, you know? That is the greatest. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think I've talked about that as much. Um, I got a year. I mean, he had a slip in the year, but I got basically like a you year did. with Sober Sage. And I mean, he was, he's, he's always a sweet kid, but he's just a great kid. And he was giving and he, he was protective of his mom to like and a his, fault. And his mom and his, and his grandparents. His gra oh, he was the I best grandkid. That's the old soul in him. He was the best grandkid Best grandkid ever I've ever seen in, in my the life. World. And they were the best grandparents yeah. ever, but they loved each other. You know, he had time for them, you know? I mean, he was he was close to all of them, but my wife's parents, they lived down the street and he, I mean, he was just so good with them, but he, um, he spent that year. I'm one of the greatest nights of my life. He was in this halfway house. It's going to sound crazy in, in Antioch, which is the, you know, the, not always the, the, uh, safest section of Nashville. Right. And, um, they have, you know, they had little outdoor meetings and he said, Hey, will you come tell your story at my thing? And I, I went over and I sat in back of this shitty house and Antioch had told my story and, and, uh, and then me and him and four of the guys from the halfway house went to the sizzler or something. I can't remember what, what it was. And, and I bought them dinner. The great, one of the greatest times of your life. It's one of the greatest nights of my and life. You've been all over. You've, uh, yeah, you've flown with celebrities. Yeah. You've done. Played Madison time. Square Garden. Yeah. No, it was, yeah, just, just yeah. kick the crap out of Madison Square totally. Garden. Those moments that I got with him, I did. And so when, when that was going on, I thought, oh, I was so, so happy. 2019 was the best year of my life. And I said it while it was happening. This is, I just watched him becoming the greatest. Yeah. And I thought at the time, this is a new beginning. This is the beginning of the kid that it's wants the first him to day be. Of the rest of his first life. day of the rest of his life. You went on a trip out West, I think. Yeah, we went to the Grand Canyon and for his 21st and he was birthday. Present. He was present. And the truth is that was a gift to me. That wasn't the beginning. That was God's gift to me to say, you did fine. You right. did fine. This right. is a great kid. It's, and, it's and you know, time. he's in heaven and he's at peace. He's devastated of what he did to you guys and his grandparents and the ones who loved him. I mean, because he was a caring guy like that. But he's devastated. But if about he got that. the choice, I, I don't believe he would come back here. I, I, I believe, I believe in a heaven that's so that's so much better than you know. I think oh, he I knows. Agree with you. We, we we needed this. That's a crazy thing to say, but we part of my plan is this. I have been able to make contact with fathers, parents of that have lost children in a way I never would have. Well, if you were angry about it, you couldn't do this. No. If you were blaming the dealer, if you were blaming other people, you know, that would keep you in a box. Yeah. You know, if you weren't honest about it, just like in recovery, you wouldn't be able to go and, and have these groups and be honest with other dads. And I'm sure you see the anger. And anger's okay. Justified anger's okay. But- your honesty got you to where you are, My both in your recovery and with what happened. Yeah, to and if, it, if I hadn't learned the honesty in recovery, like you said, then this would have been a, this would right. have been a crazy. Imagine thing. how angry you would have been. Oh, oh, and and my friend Casey Bethard, with who lost his son, was murdered, and he, in court, forgave the kid that murdered his son, like in front of the judge. And I'm like, okay, I'm not that good. I can I can I can forgive everyone in my circle because that's that's next level. Uh, getting to that spot is, um, 
That's God. You don't believe in God? That's the Listen power. to Casey Beathard talk about the guy that murdered right. his kid. You don't believe right. in God? You believe in God when you hear him talk right. about it. Because right. that's the only way. If, if, I was, um, if I was out there when this happened, if I had lived long enough to be a drinking user and this had happened, oh, not bad. It'd be bad. Right. I probably would have, I mean, I say this is, you know, the FBI don't come after me, but I probably would have tried to kill that guy. Sure. Um, I, that's just something and 98% that, of the population would have agreed with you. Yeah. Um, but the truth is that wasn't going to bring him back. And that wasn't my, my path is not even, I followed up a lot with the, with the, the DA and whatever at first, but my path isn't that be, become the dateline mom that, that kept chasing this guy for 14 years. My path has been clearly presented before me. You are to comfort the people that are in your situation. That's my thing. It's, it's, I want to go after and, and beat the hell out of somebody or get angry about it and, and be like Jeff Bridges at the end of some movie, you know, die. I killed everyone. Right. They're all gone. But that's not my path. But you know, what's emotional for me. And I know it is for you. We're, we're going through an opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. We're not done with it. We're going through it. Just because yeah. the litigation is done doesn't mean the problem is done. We know what alcohol can do. And now we're treating marijuana like it's the soup of the day. And like it's some innocent drug. And you're walking down a street in New York and all you smell is marijuana. But if I lit a cigar, they put me in jail. <laughs> but it's just crazy how we're making a, anything that's mind altering. Anything yeah, that you're I, doing to alter your mind instead of just looking, living life through regular colored glasses, not rose colored. You have to take a look at it. And when I see 17 year olds say they smoke pot because they can't sleep at night. And well, did you try working out? Did you try exercising? Did you try eating right? I mean, and we're normalizing marijuana now. I think I agree with you me. and I disagree with you because um, I gr agree that I, I don't like pot. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like what it does. I told my I don't boys, like I told all my boys, I said, you want a head start in life? Don't smoke weed. <laughs> You'll be way more ambitious and hardworking right, than your right, counterparts right. if you don't do it. At the same time, I'm not sure alcohol is not way more dangerous. You I know, very rarely have heard someone getting high and beating the hell out of their wife. I agree with that, but I don't like to say which is worse, the rapist or the murderer. I mean, <laughs> okay, I, good you know, point. Good point. Like, so you think they should outlaw alcohol? No, I'm not. Th I'm not. I'm not there. It wouldn't hurt. You know, I'm not. I look, mean, I'm I think. Not, I, I think everybody would be. I think everybody would be better off without it. But I'm not anti-alcohol. Yeah, I'm not anti-alcohol at all. But I do know people it just that stop smoke working a for me. And go, yeah, yeah, I, smoke I, a little weeds like I had a beer. You know, like <laughs> you know, I mean, one potato chip. You know, I just, I just think it's, it's a mind-altering drug. And I sit in rooms where kids share that it was a gateway drug. And I know there's a million people that'll argue with that. Yeah. This doesn't lead you to the next thing. What it does put you in is a culture. And it used to be a sneaky culture because it would be, you had to sneak around a smoke pot. Now it's out in the open, but it, there's a culture. The people you're with when you're doing it, there's a culture that can lead you to the next act. I'll buy you know? that because it's a, with me, I, I, the first thing I really did was smoke pot in high school. I don't even think I did it right. I didn't really get high. It wasn't so much a gateway drug for me as it was a gateway decision. I was now going to break the rules. You entered into the culture. I entered into yeah. the culture of I'm going to break the rules and right. I'm not going to be the little Baptist kid. Right. I just didn't want that. And so, I, I, I mean, look, I think the world's probably a better place without weed, but I I do uh, I do rub that CDB oil on my elbows and and take the THC-less gummies to, to sleep. And I'm... I, I, I'm 
I think there's some medicinal benefits in it and someone dying of cancer is probably better off. I think everybody's putting out a shingle right now saying there is, and we'll see which yeah. CBDs really stick. And I think there's yeah. probably a place for them for what I read, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm talking about smoking. I pot, definitely am. You know? this, this a, a bunch of pot smoking, nothing gets done. Right. I'm a little too like, and I'm not so ambitious with like, I have to make the most money or I have to write most hit songs. I'm ambitious with my time. I, I, my, the reason I don't play golf and we go back and forth cause you're a great golfer and I don't play golf. The hard problem I have with playing golf is it's time consuming. And it doesn't get me in shape, but it's a great <laughs> way to blow a day. I, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm kind of ambitious with my time. Now, right. Don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll binge a Netflix series with my right. wife. as my perfect weekend. I'm not right. But the, the, the weed guy, the weed guys, there are exceptions to the rule. There are exceptions. It's to also a full-time job for them. Like drinking was for me. I mean, they're smoking pot. Yeah, when you I know, go to Smoothie King smoke. and I smell weed everywhere, they yeah. come out of the back, oh, can I help you? Right, It's right. a little, it's right. a little My like, Uber driver the other day, yeah, you know, yeah. he said, you ever been in a Tesla before? I said, not one that smelled like this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh yeah, tell me that story again. <laughs> I, I get into the Uber in San Diego and it's a Tesla, the 17 year old kid or whatever. He, he probably worked really hard for that Tesla. <laughs> he, yeah, his dad. He pops a trunk and I've got a suitcase. He never gets out of the car. So I put the suitcase in and, he, and I start to push it down because I'm 59 and I forget that's all automatic now. And he says, hey, there's a button for that. There's a button for that. And I get in the car. I said, well, if you got out of the car, you could have yeah, yeah. told me that, <laughs> you know? And he said, you never been in a Tesla before? I said, not one that smelled like weed like this. <laughs> <laughs> so we got off to a slow start. By the way, and what he's driving with, you know, it's the automatic driving thing. So he's driving without the hands. Oh, really? Well, I know it's automatic, but just put your hands on does the wheel. Does it stop and turn the corner for it you? It does all that, but just put your hands on the wheel for me. I'm 59 <laughs> years old. I'm late for my flight. Come on, just just put your, even if you're faking it, just put yeah. your hands on it. You're like a little kid playing with yeah, the toy. Exactly. It's not really driving. Exactly. So, well, I haven't been in that yet where yeah. it just does all the driving. You're not missing much. No, I miss <laughs> yeah. a 17 year old with a, with a Tesla, huh? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I get a little bit annoyed at the culture. Um, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm just, when I see, alcohol although you know what yeah i'm, I'm with you i'm with well, you, you know I don't, I, don't, I, can, I don't love like marijuana aside i can tell you with alcohol and you know this and you can identify with this it's progressive yeah. so however you're drinking today is not how you're going to drink three to five years from now if for sure if you have a problem now i can't speak for social drinkers Although I never think anybody drinks successfully. I had an old timer saying in a meeting once I was speaking, I said, I drank successfully for 30 years. It wasn't until the last five years as things started to go down the drain. He said, you drank without incident. You never drank successfully. Yeah, what does that mean? And he was so right. So I don't think anybody does it successfully because I think alcohol is undefeated. But for the alcoholic, it's progressive and it's a disease that wants you dead. And it sits on your shoulder and it'll lie to you. And that's why you can, that's why you have a bunch of drinks and you think you're okay to drive. And the next day you realize you weren't because it's the drug that'll make you think you're okay to drive. And, and even do for other the, the social drinker, alcohol is selfish. It is Alcohol selfish. doesn't go serving other people. Alcohol doesn't worry about someone else having a bad day. Right. And I think I put pot in there probably too, but I, when I, alcohol does not serve. Right. Alcohol gets served. Well, it's, you know, it, a lot of people share, a lot of people share that they had, avoid in themselves. They felt less than. And when they started drinking, it was the solution because they were a better dancer. They could talk to girls um, and they just felt more comfortable in social settings. 
So it worked until it stopped working. Yeah. And the stop working part is the progressive part and the disease part and things started to get lousy. I mean, I drank beer most of my life. I stopped drinking beer because it filled me up. I joined a country club. I started drinking vodka and I went down the drain. Quick one. The, uh, the athletes that you work with. Yeah. Like uh, and you, you tend to work with guys either later in their career or when they're retired. I start when they're finished. <laughs> yeah. When they're, when they're broke, divorced and humbled, <laughs> then they're perfect. I got to work for you. They want to work. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, well, this, I mean, in, in the music business, it's like, I wouldn't say it's expected, but it's a little bit expected. Like even I, when I see a guy that doesn't, no, I don't drink. Oh, you, you're alcoholic. No, no, I just don't drink. I'm like, Ooh, you don't have anything to say. I want my blue singer to have right, an right, alcohol right. problem. What'd you say about the sound guys? You don't trust them unless they have a ponytail yeah, and tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Some really <laughs> yeah. nicely dressed sound guy <laughs> right. with khaki pants. I'm like, no, no, I want my sound guy to have a marble red and a ponytail <laughs> right. and a black t-shirt That's on right. and a gut right. hanging Central over casting. his yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so your musician, you kind of want to have had a problem, but with athletes, it seems like I just can't believe they can function at the, maybe it's when they retire, but the athletes that come out and say they've had problems with this. Yeah. These things. So I can't much, imagine physically performing at yeah, that level. You know, it's the downtime. It's Baseball, the, it's the, the, there's so much downtime, yeah. you know? So, you know, I've worked with uh, Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden and uh, some really great sober dudes, uh, Dennis Eckersley. Uh, just the list goes on and on. By the way, it also, it's also a great time to be sober. It's not the scarlet letter that it used to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a good time for people to be honest about their story. But the athletes always talk about the downtime. I mean, I remember hearing Billy Joel saying, you know, I'm playing in front of 70,000, then I'm alone in a hotel room in 10 minutes. Yeah. And what did I do? Well, he drank, you know. Um, so the downtime brings on the vices. And you can't babysit someone the whole time. I never no. forget. I saw a great Saturday Night Live skit. And this is so mean. I know you're friends with Daryl Strawberry. And I, I I love him, actually. I'd love to have him on sometime. But this guy on Saturday Night Live, said he was doing the news. Right. And uh, he said, hey, news, breaking news today. Daryl Strawberry did not get arrested. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. And, and he would laugh of, at that today. Yeah. I mean, it's it just, you become that guy. And I remember kind of, you know, not, not in in front of everyone, but we kind of becoming the guy that everyone expected. If we, if Brett and I went to a party, they expected us to get drunk and do shots and act like a fool, act like a fool. Yeah. That was kind of our role. Yeah. And it becomes the, you know, it, it became Daryl yeah. Strawberry's role to yeah. be the guy getting in trouble. So what's Daryl doing today? He's a preacher living in St. Louis and he helps thousands of people. And you know how he helps thousands of people by honestly telling his own story and telling him, talking about his alcoholic father who abused him and all the things that happened in his life to get him to where he was and what happened and how he is now and how he was broken. And he talks about hitting all those home runs. You know, Joe Torre said once, they asked him about addiction in some interview. He said, well, put it this way, Daryl Strawberry was batting fourth for the New York Yankees. We're going to the World Series and all he had to do was stay sober and he couldn't do that. Oh, that's the power of addiction. Like I said earlier, it wins. If it's in the game. That's the power of addiction. But um, Daryl's such a beautiful guy guy and a beautiful soul and just making the, you know, living his best life right now. And if he didn't have that story, it wouldn't be the same thing. Like, right. That's his story. He had to go through that. I loved his, the redemption story. And the, the worse it was is, I mean, you don't, you don't want to tempt fate, but I mean, that guy's, I've heard from you and others that he's just amazing, his ability to help people. And without that story, his ability it's unbelievable. to help people. He's articulate. He's very bright and he's honest. Yeah. 
How can that fail? That formula. And he's Daryl Strawberry. Do you find yourself looking for guys like that to represent? Sure, I do. Because you the know, sober guys of- break the ties. Yeah, of course, I do. You know, because I always said, try to win the ties. Yeah, I identify with those guys. Yeah. You know, like you and I had an instant bond. Like the most interesting people I know are sober. Yeah, I know we're the supposed most to be anonymous. People. Yeah. But if, what if what if we had been anonymous that night? Well, how do we help the next guy if we're anonymous? That's like you know, people get better and they stop going to meetings. And somebody said to me once, "What if nobody was there when you showed up?" Yeah, like are we that selfish? Are we that selfish that we get better and then stop showing up? Like the only time we really feel good about ourselves is when we're doing something for somebody else, totally. someone who can't do anything for us, yeah. right? So. How dare me get better and stop going to meetings? Yeah, I'm good now. And that was a wake-up call. And you're great about the program. And you're great about attendance at the program and helping others. But it's not always easy. No, no. We always don't feel like it. I never leave regretting going. And I always think about, oh, I'm, I'm, this is a busy day. I could really use not doing this today. But no, I know it's just it's kind of like you said about church. I just feel better being in the room. Hey, it's like working out or church or going to AA or any of those things. But helping somebody else is the only time we're going to feel the best about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I know that formula works. You know, I know that works. It's funny because I kind of, you work hard. Somebody told me once, and they were dead on uh, accurate about Brett and I. So I I know you guys, you want to work really hard so you can be lazy. Right. So I'll do that in a week. And I want to do that in a career, in life. And I'm just kind of, you know, I'm going to work really hard until I'm 60 and then I'm, and then I'm going to do nothing. Are you inherently lazy? Could you be lazy? Do you overachieve because you're afraid I'm that afraid you're to inherently be lazy. lazy? I've told my wife the other day, I was just afraid of being lazy. She's like, oh my God, I've never seen anyone not miss a workout right. like you. I think maybe I am afraid of being lazy, but I, I, you know, it's funny. We can form habits, good or bad, over, the, over we, time. And I formed some habits that would keep me from being lazy. I literally plan to die in a gymnasium working out or something because I don't, I don't know if I don't want to be lazy so much anymore, or if it's been programmed, but there, there's a side of me that's, that, that could. We act our way into right thinking. Yeah, maybe so. So when we're using and we're out there, we're trying to think our way into right action. We're trying to think our way out of the problem. We act our way into right thinking. So you can't, you keep doing the next right thing and all of a sudden you become the honest guy yeah. organically. And you, you become that person and it's not, you snap in your finger, you just one foot in front of the other, keep chopping wood and you act your way into right thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like this, like doing, do, first of all, I don't really want to host a podcast. I first started talking about it with, with Matt, the producer. And then, you know, my wife informed me that you are going to do this because you're supposed to. And she knows, she knows me. And I, and I was, and the truth is, you said, what did you say today to, to my brother? You said, have you ever, have you ever found yourself growing when everything's perfect? Right. There's no, you, you, all your lessons in life happen when you're in pain. Yeah. When things are going great, you don't learn anything. So, you don't learn anything. So choose to put yourself in pain. Therefore you can grow. Right. So that's the one way that I think that I've changed from, I was always avoiding pain so right. much and being sober, but also since Sage has died, I put myself in uncomfortable situations and try to get comfortable with them. And it's so fulfilling. Right. Like I'm going to have dads over to my house. The son's died. And we're going to sit in a circle with no format and just talk about it. Right. Well, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that'll go to your meeting. I'll be supportive, but it's not really good. It's not going to be at my house. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I'll go to yours, but we're not going to do this at my house. Right. So right. I love it. I feel like God has blessed our home because we have this atmosphere in here. 
you were here the night that when uh, the week that Sage died and and magic. Um, Tim and Faith were here and magic. my sisters were here singing and and my buddy Lance Miller, my brother, and we were all my cousin Joel. And we were sitting around playing music and it's like God lifted the roof. It was off like everybody brought everybody dust. brought their talent into the room, no matter what it was. You know, the guy who ran to get coffee because he couldn't do anything else, but he was great at that. And all the and all of a sudden McGraw says to Lance, go grab a guitar. And everybody just pass the guitar around. You don't think Sage and God were sitting next to us? Oh, it had to be. You don't think there's a God? You think that was a coincidence? And it was like a perfectly scripted musical. You said that night to me. If you don't believe in God, I wish, anyone who doesn't believe in God, I wish they could have walked in this right. house tonight. I did say that. And then no we choice. went to the other room and your sister is playing the piano, like Beethoven, yes. beautifully. You know, um, And Faith Hill is on her knees looking up in admiration of your sister. And that was real. Who's a school teacher. And, right. Yeah. And that was all real. And then your, your nephew comes in and he sings like Pavarotti. <laughs> it was just beautiful. And then Caleb, McGraw's, McGraw's amazing, against the yeah. corner. Nobody was trying to hog the moment. Yeah. And it was like this crazy special moment. It's the same girls and people go to the funeral the next day and they sing that in church. I mean, what a 48 hours. What did you say my nieces were like? You said something today that was so funny. Like I mean, it was like the Amish raising a barn. It was like they showed up, they drove for 12 hours to get here, and they just come in with this beautiful, these beautiful voices and talent. Yeah. It was like the Amish. Just like so crazy blew talent. the whistle. Everybody yeah. showed up and raised, and raised the barn. You know, but the love that now, what I saw was the love for you guys. Yeah. And you so don't get felt. that love unless somewhere along the line you gave that love. So, you know, I got the call and I was in your kitchen. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say, but I just needed to be here. You know? I felt like I woke up the morning after and I came out for coffee and you were standing here. And yeah. I'm like, damn, you live in New York, don't you? You know, it's like- I, All I knew is I needed to be there and I didn't know anything else. And, and there was a hundred of those people and they just kept showing up. Yeah, yeah. And you I'll know? tell you this, the-, the um, the hum uh what is it the gratitude i guess i was I mean, humbled i was humbled by people's humanity and okay so you you come my, my best friend from high school drives here from florida with his dad a lot of people came but then people like my like my nieces and nephews they don't have the time or the money right. and, and they're just here with right. all, all of them right all of them right. we have a huge family speaking of amish right got a lot of, i mean i'm at the marriott or wherever i was the elevator opens and there were more people here for you like i just kept seeing people that i've met along yeah there. it's humbling and it, nobody said you know nobody wanted to be counted as i'm here and nobody really had an agenda or knew what to do, but we just kept showing up. And then I'd sit in the dining room and I'd, I'd talk to Michelle's father and we'd have this unbelievable conversation. It was like, man, everybody checked the Rico's at the door and McGraw's here all weekend with Faith and Faith's climbing on her hands and knees looking for pictures of Sage in the attic and dusty and dirty and no makeup. It was beautiful. It was, it really, it's crazy to for that to be, it was the most painful week of my life and it was the most beautiful week of my life. Um, do you sit back and think about those 48 hours sometimes? Do you give yourself enough credit, you and Michelle, for all the love you have in your life because you were there for others? I mean, you don't get those relationships by mistake. You become a friend because you are a friend. And friendship is work. It's work. I guess I guess I, I was just grateful. The, the gratitude, I, I really was, I did, I have thought, thought before in life, I'm like, because you wind up alone in life sometimes, sure. you know, and sure. even if it's just the two of Michelle and I were alone, 
But um, you wondered, how many people do I really have that I can right. call? It's funny. You and I, so we get busy. We're on there. You know, we haven't right. seen each other in a bit for now. And if I call you instead of send a funny text, if I call you, you text me back, hey, I'm in a thing. You right. okay? Right. Like, in other words, if, you, if you're not okay and you need me, then I'll automatically and Joe Torrey can get right. to find their own right home. That's right. That's right. Exactly. I believe it on the Maui gym. Well, you know, we talk about friends and yeah. I always joke around. There was a bar called Hennessy's in Morristown, New Jersey, where I live. And I drank at Hennessy's. And you talk about who your real friends are. And I say, when I quit drinking, I haven't had a drink in 14 years. And I said, those three guys still think I'm in the bathroom in Hennessy's. <laughs> <laughs> They're not bad people, but yeah. they were just drinking buddies. Man, well, Neil's taking a long where, time. Where'd Tim go? He must be you taking know, a dump. He's still thinking, no, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> but you want to find out who your real friends are, get sober. Yeah. And then you want to really learn how to be a friend, get sober. Yeah, only one person told was surprised at me getting, you know, you'd think everyone's going to be like, you're, you're going to rehab. Right. Are you sure? You know, because I thought I was hiding my disease really well. And um, most of what I got was, I said, Hey, I'm going, I'm going to rehab. Oh, good for you. Yeah, good. Right. The only guy that was surprised was my dealer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, Are you sure? I don't I think you're well, okay. Business was going down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he had to worry about it. Right. No, it's true. And, um, but that's what I'm not sure you guys spend enough time on giving yourself credit. The room was filled for a reason. And it was the love for Sage too. Yeah. I mean, Sage left a mark. He left a mark on me. He, he, he left, left a mark. mark he people. left a mark a, more. I'll say this. Like he left more in his 21 years than some people leave in a lifetime. hundred percent. Just based on what he left. Like, like, Michelle and I, different people. I mean, the same people. I'm the same friend you have, but di different people and, and level of of willingness to just go and do and right. be in the right place. But his brothers and his cousins. And all the people you don't know. And all the people we don't know. But but even the people that knew, like, there's something about, like, he set the tone. It could be good or bad, but he set the tone for the room. He did. And he's and still he setting the tone. I bet he sat with the kid who was alone at lunch. He, he was that I kid. had, like, parents come to me. And by the way, Sage was a, was it like a, a strong personality, a fighter, a football right. player, right. a baseball, but it mean like a competitor of all. And I would have parents from like the kid who was backing him up. Now I never had the parent of a kid that he was backing up. But when he was like a senior, junior or senior in high school, the parent of a kid who was backing him up at cornerback and say, Oh my gosh, she was so kind to my son and right. showed him things and would help him and tell the coach, Hey coach, we're up by 20, which we weren't much in high right, school. Right, right. We're up by 20. Like give him some reps or let him return a punt or what, whatever it was. It's funny because he would go from that ultimate competitor to the really compassionate guy and I got to learn things from like his his football coaches. Um, one of the guys gave me this great story about that. He said this kid had like we were it was a really tense thing, and the other school that he had previously coached defensive backs for, uh, they were killing this guy on social media. And he's a young guy; this guy's in right. his thirties. So he's and he said it was the most difficult week of my life, and I'm getting crushed by this other school on social media, and I just felt like I had no one at all for me. And he said we're getting ready to run on the field. And he said, uh, Sage grab, comes up and grabs my shoulder and he goes, coach, I got your back. How great is that? And how old school and old soul is that? And, you know, he knew who was in the room. Like some people go through life, they never realize who's in the room. Or, you know, you're playing golf and the group in front of you, they never, they don't think anybody's behind them. And they, 
he knew who <laughs> was. reason I'm playing he, golf. I get he, in a fight about. He, <laughs> he knew who was in the room. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he was kind. He was kind. He was kind. I mean, he was you a know? shit, but he was kind. He was kind and protective. And yeah, like he was kind. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, he, he was. You saw the way he protected his mother. Oh, you know, and his grandmother and grandfather. Yeah. You know, he protected his mother too much. I'd have to be like, hey. They're just because someone walked by and turned their head didn't mean they're trying to attack your mom. You right, gotta stop starting right. to fight. It is a compliment. Yeah. But you know, I saw is. the picture of uh, Michelle and Jude, and he's got a smile on, he's got his arm around his mom. Like, your kids never minded putting their arm around their parents. Well, she's hot, and, though. It's easy. Yeah, she is, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. You know, but they're they're not they're not ashamed. Like yeah. I can remember well, going you, through a stage where, you know, drop me off two blocks from the school. Yeah. You know? You said that today about Jude. Oh, he's not afraid to put his arm around his mom. I'm like, no. Yeah, I love that. that. That never happened, by the way. I don't Mission think was, accomplished with raising yeah, them for yeah, that. Yeah, a little bit. Like those are the little wins. Yeah. Those are the little wins. Like yeah. you gotta count those. I mean, at this at the moments, like it's funny because I uh, the high school where where Sage played football and baseball is on I-65. I drive past it every day. And so uh, in the in the winter, there's no leaves on the trees. And I can literally look at the football field and the baseball field, which back up to I-65. And I can drive by and I can rabbit hole through everything I would do differently and ask God why and pound the steering wheel. And if only this, if only that. And then other times I can drive by and just smile, thinking about that touchdown. You know, uh, or or thinking about the the you know the this first baseball game, right? Um, the gratitude of it, all and of just it. the gratitude and, and think of the stories, and peacefulness. So I think that it's um, I think that it's all part of it because it's it's not gone. The pain isn't gone, but I can have moments where I'm just grateful for the for the right. for the good ones, and I know that like Casey Bethard to bring him up again says I have one kid that I know is okay. Now I got, he's got four other ones. He said, I got four that I'm still worried about, but I got one. That's really, well I got said. one that's taken up. And on the good days, um, that's how I feel. And, 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 and then, yeah, then there's bad days. Yeah. So. There's, and you don't know when, which is going to happen. You told me too. You said, you're going to have bad days. You're not going to have a bad life. Right. And that there is a difference because right. it's not every day. Yeah. We're not having a bad life. We're having a bad moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, we're not even having a bad day. We're having a bad moment. Yeah. You know, you can restart your day anytime you want. You know, if you, you know, if you back up and you hit the garage and you, you know, your day's not ruined, you're having a bad moment, you know? And it's usually uh, a teenager hitting my garage. Right. Not right. even my kids, but one of yeah. their friends. Oh, I know. I was going to say to you, how many, you talked about passing the field. Yeah. And how many times did you drive by the drug dealer's house? Zero? Zero. Right. And that's, that's where you are today. Yeah. That's the peace. Like that's the surrender and the peace, right? Yeah. I mean, not that you don't have angry days, but, you know, you could have been the other guy. You could have gone back out and drank and drugged and your marriage would have gone down a drain and people wouldn't have blamed you. I mean, you had a hall pass to drink again. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. I mean, you had if to answer to yourself. Excuse, but definitely. I, I yeah. Even, uh, pour even pour me, pour me another drink. Yeah. You had a hall pass to drink again. Um, but your program was so strong and your marriage was so strong and your relationship with God was so strong. That, you know, those are the push-ups you did before the event happened, yeah. right? I don't so, want to drink. Right. You know I don't I mean? either. It's like, it's, it's not, I'm not. I mean, I say sometimes I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and sometimes I'm just a guy who doesn't drink, <laughs> yeah. depending on my level of sobriety, you know? And I'm not, I'm not, uh, 
I'm not a sober dude every day, but I am a guy who doesn't drink every day. Yeah. And you don't, you know, every day is not perfect and it doesn't have to be. You don't feel like working out every morning. No. And those are the workouts that feel the best when you're done. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about uh, on the way from breakfast about talking to, you know, resentments or staying current with people in your life. We were talking about our wives, you know? And I said, the only problem with that is that when you say something, they have a mouth and they might say something back. <laughs> so sometimes we avoid it, but staying current. You don't have to swing at every pitch. You don't We're swing at every pitch, but staying current with people, stay, you know, and fight about what you're fighting about. You know, you know, don't fight, don't bring something up, you know, stay on the topic. But when things build and we push down and, you know, that when coming from an alcoholic family, we didn't talk about anything. I mean, all Irish parties ended in crying or a fight. And the next day they were washed down the drain when you took the shower, right? Um, but staying current on stuff and staying spiritually healthy, you know, which I think is the reason, I mean, talk to me about how you got into this and why you decided to do a podcast. This, like the podcast? Yeah. The podcast. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wonder myself. Uh, so, okay, so I did, um, Brett and I did an event in, well, it was a few months ago. Was it March? In Austin, uh, Mac, Jack, and McConaughey. Jack Ingram is an old friend of ours, and he invited us. And it's um, it's a really great charity event in Austin. And, yeah, I was like, yeah, we'll definitely go. And so I'm in catering, and and I meet this guy. And he – by the way, Jack Ingram has a podcast that we have been supposed to do several times and it just never worked out. And um, so I meet this guy in catering um, who's now sitting over there. Um, named Matt Pivato, and and he he said, "Hey man, I I just introduced himself. I'm Jack's podcast person." I'm like, "Oh yeah, we need to get to do that podcast." And he's like, "Yeah, I've been kind of waiting to meet you." And I'm like, "Well," oh. and uh, so we sit down and we start talking. And his his, his best friend uh, named Ryan Lynch passed away about two months before Sage did. I think it was two months. And um, and he read a by the way, I've posted like twice in on Facebook in my entire life, right, but right. you know where it was actually me. Um. And uh, one of them was, well, they were both about Sage. And um, he, he had read that. And I think he heard us on a Jesus Calling podcast. And so we just got to, into this, this grief discussion. And he said, I know it's not the same losing your best friend as losing your son, but I, it really it really spoke to me when you, whatever you said. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of, just the honesty that you talked about before. Like, um, I feel like I'm in a place where I don't, I'm not uncomfortable talking about ready anything. To ready to talk about anything. It. Anyone, anytime, like if we play a show and someone comes up and tells me they lost a kid, we hug and cry and go off in a corner and ignore everybody. And I, I just don't care. Um, so, um, we exchanged numbers and, you know, Matt was calling me and he kind of mentioned, you know, I want you to do a podcast on grief and, you know, I was I'm busy, you know, we're just busy. We're just grinding out the music business and playing that shows and trick. writing songs and that old thing. Yeah. And, about the fourth time I told Michelle, I said, I mean, it's a really cool thing. It's a great idea, but I, I just don't know if, you know, if I have time to do this. And she said, oh, you're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> this is you. So you brought it up three or four times. I love that. I know that. your heart's in it and I know I God that. wants you to do it. Yeah. And, um, and that really and truly was just me doing a reporter's trick because I knew if, she, if it wasn't her idea, she'd be like, you're not tearing my right, house apart. Right, right, right. This well, you know, the other thing is it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about helping the next person. Yeah. It's for me, it's about helping the next sick and struggling alcoholic. And I can't do that unless I'm honest and unless I put myself out a little bit, you know, and, to, and, and talk about it. So you're helping some guy who's sitting at home in Denver talking about Sage. And trying to do a podcast where I'm looking like the cool guy. No one's going to ever do that better than Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's, no one cares. I, I'm not it's not important enough. I'm not, I'm not, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. 
Um, and this is the one thing, if you tell me that, that standing on my head naked in the middle of the street is going to honor my son, I will be out there doing a right. headstand that's with right. my balls flopping in the wind. Right. That's right. I will do whatever it takes to honor my son. And right. by the way, that's, it's, that's, you know, um, that's a godly, <laughs> bad, bad analogy, but right, that's, a, right, that's right. a godly, um, thought to have in your head. Like whatever. And I knew that this would honor Sage and I knew that this would be something that when I was the first year in grief, the first three months of grief, I would have paid tons of money to see her two guys sit and talk like this because I couldn't listen to a podcast that didn't address it because right. I'm like, how can you people be continuing right. with your lives? How's, you know the, world, how's the world going on? How's the world turning? Yeah. Um, and I mean, people, Sage is gone. People are going on with life. Yeah. Where, yeah. What are you singing about? Right. Shut up. What are you, you know? laughing about? Yeah. I would feel guilty about laughing. Right. Of course. I would start to feel like, how right. can I laugh? Um, and the, the truth is, I don't know, have a clue what I'm doing or what we're doing here, but I do know that I would have enjoyed hearing, just hearing somebody that was suffering and how they were getting through it, even if it was wrong. And and um, I got to sit in here and talk to Jeffrey Steele, who's lost his kid 15 years ago. I'm like, tell me what happens in 15 years. You know, and he's got his own road and it's amazing. And where he is, is like, I'm like, yeah, man, That's that, that gives me be. somewhere to head right. for. Yeah. Exactly. And but you know, um, isn't it about sharing struggles? I mean, yeah. isn't it about, again, I keep saying honesty, but isn't it about just being honest about whatever's going on in your life, whether it's food or booze or drugs or losing a, a parent or losing a best friend or losing a son or marital stuff or financial insecurity, all the stuff that's real that no one teaches about us about in school. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll go to the Catholic church and they'll talk about Moses and the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, but there's nothing for me to take into the week. You know, talk about relationships and finance, all those things. So isn't it about like us, a responsibility for alpha males to get together and start to talk about the pain mm -hmm. and start to talk about the solution? I mean, there's people who don't know that there's a solution for alcoholism. There's a solution. And you don't have to feel like this anymore. And you can get better. You can get better quickly. Um, and there's people who don't know that um, because guy, it was shrouded in secrecy. Yeah. You know? And we're only as sick as our secrets. That's right. The tough guy in me wants to not talk about it and right. not be... That's not tough. That's no, bullshit. It's the furthest thing. It's boring. The tough guy will come talk about it. That's right. Get emotional and let it hit you. And it's hard to, it's hard. I still can't even watch it. Like I can't even watch myself go there. But I know that somebody needs to hear whatever right. that is. And it may be one person, but whatever it is, um, it's, it's good. It's going to help someone you're willing to lay it and out And it's going to help us. It, I mean, it keeps us sober yeah. to help the next guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a very similar way. It keeps me sane to help the next grieving dad. A hundred percent. Very just, similar. Yeah. I bet it is a lot, but it's very similar to two things. Yeah. It's getting outside of your own head to do something for somebody else that can never do help you back. Um, that's the secret to life. I mean, that's the secret sauce. It really is. And it's so like not my natural instinct. <laughs> right. But it's so it's, simple too. Like it's a alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, a simple program for complicated people. Yeah. You know? And it's simple, and, not easy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But like we, we're the ones who make it difficult, right? <clears throat> um, we complicate it, but it's really simple stuff. Men are pretty simple beings just all in all. Yeah, they are. We're like just, you know, four yeah, things are. in life and I won't even say what four they are. Right. And there, there's, but the, the, um, the complicated, the way we make it complicated is what keeps us from, no, I can't do that because we have a list of excuses. It's our ego. And I'll tell you what this has done for me, the program and losing my son and all this stuff. It has just 
gotten me to quit making excuses. Right. Just do it. Right. And you know, the times I feel the worst are when I'm, is my ego's involved or I feel sorry for myself. Like I want to parade because I don't drink anymore. Like I, I want to parade for doing what I should have always been doing, which is just basically the right thing. But I didn't come from the right thing. I didn't know what the right thing was. Like I had to overachieve and go through all the pain I went through to get to where I am today. And, you know, our parents did the best they could, kind of, or they did. What's what know? they had at the time. But yeah. there were two human beings raising us. It doesn't have to define us, you know? You know, and we don't have to repeat the generation. I mean, maybe the greatest gift I gave my kids was getting sober and yeah. live and living my life as a sober man. And, and I fall short every day, but living my life as a sober man, trying to do the next right thing. And they know I love them and they know I love their mom and just trying to be the best version of myself. Absolutely, because the other gifts you might have given your kids wouldn't have ever come to pass if you're not right. sober. Right, that's right. And I just watched that Derek Jeter documentary, The Captain, and and his dad, you know, the, the hero out of his dad, who's probably a great guy, but they make a big point of it, of saying that his dad never let him win at anything. Right. If Derek turns out to be a crackhead, they all go, yeah, his dad was bullying. He'd be counseling yeah. over that. No, right. no, but, but he'd be, oh yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He, right. your, his dad never let him win anything. The, the result is not up to my parents, it's up right. to me. Right. But I do. Right. They, my parents tried. They were great. I mean, actually, I, I try. I have an amazing family. I couldn't. I couldn't be happier. You have a loving family. Loving family. But if, I just thought it was funny if Derek Jeter had not turned out to be Derek Jeter, it would have been like, yeah, what a bully! His dad never let him win in a game of horse when he was four. Yeah, like uh, overdoing. Overdo yeah, like overdoing it. Yeah. Like, like our strengths overdone are our weaknesses. Totally right. I, I always say that our strengths and our weaknesses are kind of the same thing. They're right there. Yeah. They're right. What makes us good makes us bad when we overdo it. You Oof, know? That never was a truer statement. So. Right. Um, so I, I, I always end with uh, two questions. Um, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? And what's the best thing that came out of that? It happened on the same night within the hour. I, my last drink wound up in handcuffs. I was with my wife in a car and another couple, and I got pulled over for drunk driving. And I got handcuffed and a car was impounded and it was the worst night of my life. And I haven't had a drink since. So it was the best night of my life. And I actually went back and I thanked the cop because he treated me with dignity. He also said, aren't you the guy in the car commercials with the Yankees? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, you could have let me go because of that, <laughs> you know? And if he'd uh, let you go. Right. I probably, probably wouldn't sober. be here. Yeah. And I was handcuffed to the bench and I kept trying to scratch my head. So in the video, my lawyer said, yeah, we can't use this. <laughs> you know, because I kept trying to scratch. But if you can't remember you're handcuffed, it usually means you're pretty That's biased. right. But, yeah. you know, it was, it, was, uh, it was the best and it was the worst and the best night of my life. Because... I started to, you know, I surrendered. Enough was enough. I surrendered. And uh, I just started one day at a time. And uh, I haven't found it necessary to have a drink in 14 years. 14 years? Yeah. I mean, I haven't caught you yet. And hopefully I never will. I was going to say, I mean, if you yeah. catch me, there's something went really bad. I mean, with me, you and I, know. And we said last night, like numerology sometimes keeps you sober. Like, I don't think I could have a drink and then go into the rooms of AA and say, I have one day. I don't think my ego can handle that. It but I sucked. used to have 14 years, you know? I would have sometimes to preface that it. keeps you sober. I would have to preface it with, look, I had 14 years sober and then, you know. And I'm like, how long 
since my son passed away, would it still be an excuse? My son passed away five years ago, so last night I drank for the first time. It doesn't sound like a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't sound like a exactly. good plan. But, you know, sometimes I still feel sorry for myself. And I still, you know, they had wine lockers at our club. And I was going to get a wine locker, even though I don't drink. And I didn't know what I was going to fill it with. Put some but seltzer I, water in there? That sounded so cool. <laughs> like, the wine lockers almost made me drink. You're such a country but, clubber. Yeah, it's all a total diva. <laughs> but. Uh, sometimes like on a random Tuesday, you know, like New Year's Eve never bothers me. I never feel like a drink. On oh, New I feel Year's like Eve. A, a hero. On New Year's yeah. Eve. But yeah. like that next Tuesday at 430, like a drink might look good to me. But now I have a toolbox and I have friends like you and I could pick up the phone and say, you know what, Brad, I feel like drinking today. It's so strange. I don't feel good before I drink. And then I have, you know, I have love in my life and uh, that network of people mm -hmm. that you can tell on yourself with. And, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. That's the formula. That is. That's the formula. It's so simple. Whatever my call is in life from God, um, there's something about connecting people with a common enemy that empowers that group. Sharing pain dissipates it. I know that. I don't know. Um, I don't know how to do or what I'm doing, but I do know when you connect people that have that have something in common. That's a that's a difficult situation. We whether know it it's works. Like, it just, it just, especially people of like mind, people that want to get better, people that are trying to to grow in their lives, and people that that have a common enemy. Uh, it's so true. It's, it's so powerful. And, and you know, chemistry is real. Like I can't explain why I was so attracted to you the night I met you, but it was love at first sight, and it was an attraction. And we didn't really even know much about each other, but I knew we had a future. Almost sounds like we're dating. The way it you does sound that. like we're dating. You know. <laughs> Um, my wife sometimes accuses me of that. No, but we were friends in like 40 seconds. We were. And like, it <laughs> does, funny. you know, some people you've known for 50 years, you're not that friendly with just cause you know, somebody, somebody for three months, you could still have that connection and that chemistry. Yeah. You don't you know? pick who you grew up next no, door to or that's whatever. Right. That's, that's yeah, right. Yeah, you pick your friends and adults. That's right. And, but, uh, we just had this magical chemistry and connection and it, you know, and now our wives are dear friends and I mean, it just all played out the way it was supposed to. You know, I get to know your kids. Up, yeah, we do in Florida. We sure do. But if you drink, you're going to screw it all oh, up. I'm not, I'm, I know? have no plans. Yeah. Immediately. I don't to, either. To drink yeah. it all. That'll I'll screw it all up. I swear I'll call you before I have I mean, one. first of all, we'd stop paying the mortgage. So that would really yeah, screw yeah. it up. You yeah. Know? The homeless bit. Right. Yeah, we've got a little too spoiled comfortably to actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, life's pretty good right now. It's good. I know uh, you had a long week and I know how far you came to do this. Thank you. I love you, buddy. I love you. Appreciate you. I'm always here for you. All right. I know it. Thank you, man. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it.